0: Welcome to a conversation powered by Connected Learning, where we chat with some of today's leading minds about new learning approaches designed for the demands and opportunities of the digital age. Connected Learning values the new ways many young people today access information, gain expertise, and learn alongside peers and mentors using the internet, social networks, and digital technology. We're excited you're here to join the conversation as we seek to make learning relevant.
1: Hello, this is Tara Tiger-Brown, Technical Director for the Connected Learning Alliance. Today, we're talking with Betsy Corcoran about connected learning, specifically her experience with and insights on education technology. Hello, Betsy. Hey, Tara, thanks for having me. Thank you. Uh, Betsy is the founder and CEO of EdSurge. She was previously executive editor for technology coverage at Forbes Media and an award winning staff writer for the Washington Post and Scientific American. And Betsy, I was hoping you could explain a little bit about what EdSurge is. Absolutely. Um,
0: thanks, Tara. We are kind of a news and information source about everything going on in education, technology, and, and our audience includes educators, it includes entrepreneurs, and it even includes foundations and people who invest in education technology. So what we're really trying to do is build out a sort of consumer reports on education technology. So if you are using it or want to use it, uh, you can come to our site and uh, read the latest and also get some real insight into what this stuff is, is useful for.
1: It's a wonderful resource. I was specifically checking out the EdSearch EdTech Index, and I was fascinated with the number of products and where uh, you know there's definitely more products in certain areas rather than others. It's wonderful and I encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, so I'd love to dive into the questions now. Um, the first one is, Uh, How have you seen education technology being used to actually engage and inspire students and not just make teachers' jobs easier?
0: Sure. Um, A couple of examples really jump to mind. Uh, We're based here in Silicon Valley, and uh, not too far away is the public school district of Milpitas, California, uh, where about 50% of the students are Uh, are English language learners. And Milpitas is doing a really amazing job of using, uh, really letting teachers decide what sorts of education technology, digital curriculum supports they want to use. And the kids are really just eating it up. Uh, When you walk through the schools, you see kids building things. You see them really driving their own learning. You see them building, um, building their own presentations to teach concepts to other kids. It's a really exciting environment. Uh, another place that's been doing this uh, for quite a long time, actually, is the Science Leadership Academy in Philadelphia, which is a charter school, and that's a high school. And those kids do astonishing things. They're out uh, testing, um, you know, the CO2 in bus exhaust. Uh, they're building their own film and uh, media presentations. Uh, they are, they are really engaged in the world around them and their community, and they're using technology to kind of do that, everything from, like I said, sensors for, for uh, measuring things in the environment to ways of recording and um, manipulating images so that they can kind of express what they want. I guess the third point I'd make is that, uh, Tara, we run a series of summits Uh, And we've done uh, three big ones so far in Silicon Valley, in Baltimore, and uh, just this week, in fact, in Nashville, Tennessee. And these are moments where we bring together teachers and entrepreneurs to talk about what tools are evolving and what's useful in the classroom. At lunchtime, we always have a panel of four or five local students. And the astounding thing is that at every one of these summits, the students have um, talked incredibly compellingly about why their education is so much more relevant, is so much more engaging, and is so much more meaningful to them because of their use of uh, a whole raft of different technology tools. And uh, so, across the board, I would say that the students are once again kind of out ahead of us.
1: That that sounds. Wonderful. Um, I wish I was a kid again. So I'm just wondering, then, it sounds like there's opportunities now for some kids where there's a connection between learning in the classroom and then life outside of it. And I'm wondering, like, you know, are there other examples of that? And, you know, what are kids really missing out on when they're not seeing that connection?
0: Uh, so there's some great examples of how uh, the Internet technology is really kind of melting the, the old brick walls of the schoolroom and, and putting kids in touch with both uh, professionals in the world outside of them or even with other kids in me- really meaningful ways. A couple of examples that come to mind, uh, one of my favorite things on the planet is something called bug scope. Which is run by the Beckman Institute for Advanced Science and Technology out at, in, in Illinois. And what they have is they have a scanning electron microscope, a pretty multi million dollar expensive piece of technology that very few schools in America, certainly at the K 12 level, could possibly afford. But instead, their program is if you are a teacher anyplace in America and you have your kids collect some bugs from your schoolyard and you put them in an old-fashioned envelope and you send them over to Illinois, they'll, they'll slot in a time for you and then they will, uh, via the internet, link your school into their SEM so that you can actually see what these bugs look like at a, you know, some, some uh, microscopic level and uh, explore it with their scientists kind of driving the device. And that's just kind of a way that really shows kids, wow, it's, It's not just uh, pretend, Uh, this is what real scientists do. These are the kinds of powerful tools they have at their disposal. Um, Another thing that we are starting to really see over and over are language programs that connect students uh, to students in other parts of the world. And so how much more engaging is it to be learning Spanish or French or name your favorite language? with students uh, talking in another country in the way that, you know, a generation or two ago we all tried to have pen pals when we were learning a language. But now through Skype, through a whole collection of different technologies, kids really can connect with students around the world. And so then the drills in another language aren't just kind of meaningless, you know, the hat of my uncle is sitting on the table. But it really can be. Hey, how's your life going? What's new in your world? Um, incredibly more meaningful way to learn language uh, than than you know just rote languages. Um, I think we're seeing just tons of examples. Uh, really driven by creative teachers. Driven by connecting with professionals in the world. Uh, one other program to mention, and this is kind of going slightly outside the school system, but is a program called Rocket 21. And what it tries to do is it tries to link kids with mentors in the careers that they might be interested in, whether it happens to be musicians or dentists or veterinarians or whatever profession you might be interested in. And again, what they're trying to do is they're using the computer to form a virtual connection um, between students and people who can be role models, mentors, and just helpful advice Uh, in disciplines where the kids might actually imagine themselves in a few years' time. So I think that there's really a tremendous number of ways that we're seeing creative educators use these technologies to, once again, make sure the kids understand that their learning is really woven into this fabric of a very rich world.
1: And I mean, a lot of those examples, it sounds like you need to have, say, internet connection and access to, you know, Skype and, you know, using a web browser. I'm wondering, you know, it sounds like that. I mean, I know that there are, you know, some schools and school districts where they have firewalls in place preventing a lot of these opportunities. Um, where, where are you seeing some change happen and, and how does that change occur so that these opportunities are, are brought into the classroom? Sure.
0: So, um, there, are, you're right in saying that there still are many instances in which firewalls are blocking, particularly video um, footage, which is increasingly important. The, the The goal, of course, is a very laudable one that you really don't want kids either besieged with advertising or worse, kind of uh, dragged into the uh, sort of some of the unsavory corners of the internet. Um, So there are real challenges out there. On the other hand, uh, education, both in school and and what parents or caregivers uh, really are responsible for doing for their kids is teaching them to live in the real world. And once the kids leave the walls of the school, you know, they will be out on an unfettered internet. And so there are programs out there. I think that Common Sense Media, a nonprofit in San Francisco, does a fabulous job of talking about digital digital citizenship and what is it that, uh, uh, you know, again, uh, school leaders, parents um, really should be teaching kids about how to navigate in the online world. Uh, I think kids are getting a little smarter, too. Uh, Certainly, when I talk to kids, they're getting, you know, savvier about where do you want to have your uh, identity displayed. what are you willing to share? It's not across the board, and again, programs like the Common Sense Program are incredibly useful ways of starting to teach kids what are the rules of the road, what should they be careful about, uh, how should they protect themselves, and uh, ultimately, you know, how do you use, use the power that's out there for good, not for, uh, not for uh, more unsavory uh, kinds of activities.
1: That makes sense. Uh, So part of the EdSurge mission is to help educators figure out what new technology can do. And you've listed out a lot of amazing opportunities, uh, but also what cannot do. And I'm wondering, uh, what are some of the things that educational technology cannot do? Um, And then how can we continue to address any misconceptions?
0: Absolutely. So we're seeing the evolution of a lot of um, very uh, interestingly designed um, pieces of digital curriculum, tools to support learning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, many of these are developed by for-profit companies, and that's terrific. I'm, I'm uh, a fan of that. Um, at the same time, obviously, uh, the people who build these things are very excited, and they want people to use their technology, and just you know, sometimes they overpromise a little bit. Um, but You know, if you, Tara, were going to um, build a doghouse, you'd probably go to a hardware store and you'd find uh, a hammer and nails and screwdrivers. You'd find a whole collection of different tools for different parts of the job. You wouldn't expect that you could build the entire doghouse with only a screwdriver or only a hammer, right? And so in the same way, uh, we have to get more and more sophisticated now about understanding what different classes of tools are useful for and what different classes of tools are not useful for. Many of those points come back to how they get used in a classroom. So just to take one example, there's um, a collection of technologies that are highly adaptive, which means that if you have a group of 30 students uh, using highly adaptive, say, math programs, uh, then when a student encounters a problem that they get wrong or they don't understand, that pro- that program will try to diagnose, well, what's the part of the problem the kid doesn't get? Is it that they don't understand multiplication or they don't understand fractions or they don't understand what the role of zero is? So what, which piece of this thing do they not understand? And so you can imagine that if you had 30 different kids and they were kind of using an adaptive program uh, over uh, the course of a couple of months, they would wind up following 30 different learning trajectories to ultimately learn how to, say, do the same thing, cross-multiply fractions. But in each case, the program is trying to diagnose mm-hmm. what the kid doesn't understand and try to give them you know, some backfilling uh, to support that. Now, an adaptive program is a pretty exciting thing when it's used on a consistent basis, because then the program is kind of sussing out at every single step what the kid knows and what the kid doesn't know. You could have the best math teacher on the planet. If they chose to use a highly adaptive system only once a week, it's kind of a waste of time, because the program really is building iteratively on what what the kid is performing. Instead, you could have a less than stellar math teacher who used that same program four times a week, you know, 30 minutes at a shot. And they would have a very positive outcome because that's how the school was designed to be used. So when we talk about what should and shouldn't be used, a lot of it comes down to teachers thinking, you know, reflecting on what are their practices, what are they trying to achieve with their students, what are their student needs, and then going into that great big toolbox and saying, "Okay, this time I need a hammer, not a screwdriver."
1: That that's really interesting. And I've been—I was as you're talking, I was thinking about also, you know, the actual uh, developers, the people who are building the products. And I know that you know one of the things that search does is uh, you help developers understand what educators and learners need. And I'm just wondering, like, what is that? What is that process? So, if let's say you know, there's you know, edtech startups are you know obviously booming at this point. I'm hearing about new ones all the time. Like, what is your advice in terms of how they might get started and how they might actually understand uh, the needs of uh, teachers and learners? Sure.
0: So um, I mentioned earlier that one of the things that we do is we run this series of summits, and we're going to run six of them across the country this year. And these summits are not trade shows. They're not places where people are trying to shovel technology or shovel products down people's throats. These are really moments where educators and entrepreneurs are coming together and the teachers are asking a whole set of questions around, okay, so how does your tool work? And then they're giving the entrepreneurs real feedback on, well, you know what? That's not what my kids need. What I need is I am dealing with the following problem and whatever the problems are that they're they're dealing with. And so we're really trying to drive a dialogue and a conversation. We are trying to uh, amplify the teacher voice um, teachers are fantastic at you know making do with whatever they have there's there's probably no scrappier group of people than teachers in that they can figure out how to get to where they need to get to teach what they need to teach uh, come what may um, and so but what we're trying to do is we're trying to say to them okay so, Let's say you didn't just have to make do with things. Let's say you really could wave a magic wand and have the tools and the support structure that really would enhance learning. What would you want to have? And uh, we're finding that teachers are really, really jazzed by that question. They're giving tremendous amount of feedback to entrepreneurs. And um, that it's, it's a very, very positive conversation. The tricky thing, of course, about education is that so many of us feel, well, we all got educated, and so somehow we feel sometimes like we're ex- experts in education. And candidly, if we're parents, we're a double expert, because now we see our kids going through it. So there's a lot of subtlety behind how to scaffold learning, behind how to kind of Inspire and manage kids' uh, expectations, um, deal with kids in groups. Um, There's a lot of different elements of learning. And uh, teachers have uh, this wealth of background. What they really need is they need to feel more empowered to share their insights, their learning, and describe. How, how are they really going to help their kids get to the next level? So that's a, a, a huge part, actually. It's like all of what we try to do at these summits.
1: Well, it sounds like really a really valuable place to connect with people and, and learn about um, what's happening in education. So And that's something that if someone goes to the Ed Search site, they can learn about your events? Absolutely, yeah. We,
0: uh, as I said, we just finished up our summit in Nashville, Tennessee, We are planning on going to New Orleans later this year. We'll be back in Silicon Valley. And we're talking to a number of other districts around the country. We really come at the invitation. We do this in partnership with uh, public school districts. And so we really, um, we're going where we are being invited to come. In Tennessee, it was the state government that asked us to come and share this with their teachers at their leadership, uh, not just at their leadership council, at their annual conference. And uh, so we're we are uh, we're pretty excited about the people who have been reaching out to us and saying, hey, could you bring this experience to our community?
1: That's great. You know, there's, you know, I guess we call them educator innovators. They're all about, hey, I want to check out this new thing, this, this technology. You know, I go to maker fairs. You know, they do all sorts of interesting things and, you know, sort of keeping up with what's happening in the 21st century and evolving to that. But again, like, we also hear about... Educators are just like, you know, I just don't have the time to check out this new technology or it's, you know I don't know what it's about and I don't know how to you know get involved in that. It's just, you know, I'm already busy So, you know, how, what would you say to that? What are what are some things that, you know, when, when someone says they have t- you know, They're too busy to figure this out um,
0: What can they do? Yeah, so uh,
1: the first
0: thing is that I think that educators are incredibly rational human beings. And if technology is not working, if it is not as, you know, flawless as turning on the light switch and the lights go on, then it's not quite ready for the classroom. You're right. There are definitely a bunch of pioneered teachers out there who are incredibly charged up about really being at the cutting edge and they don't mind if their fingers get a little raw in the process. For the vast majority of people, their first, second, and third job at the end of the day is to teach students and really help those students grow. The technology has got to work. It's got to work uh, every single time. And so uh, I actually am a huge fan of people who say, hey, you know, as soon as you really have this thing kind of genuinely working, come and see me. Now what we are trying to do is we are trying to share uh, and spot. Spotlight examples of teachers who are doing it, um, how they are doing it, and then ultimately what are the effects and implications of that. Uh, There's a a teacher I know at one of our local high schools who's a phenomenal math teacher, and she was exactly in the camp that you described, uh, Tara, where she said to me, you know, I just don't have time to kind of do all this stuff. And yet, one day, she heard that a friend of hers, down down a couple of miles away in, in the next school district, was starting to flip her classroom. And this teacher came to me, and she said, yeah, my friend is, like, flipping her classroom. I'm not really sure what that means or, you know, what it would mean for me. And I said, well, what she's probably doing is shooting some videos of herself teaching and putting those up on the web. Is that something that you want to try? And we came up with a very simple way of trying it. It didn't take a lot of her time. We shot uh, four, or five, or six videos of her doing some review sessions for her math class. She put them up on YouTube. And she was astounded at how frequently her students were looking at those videos and referring to those. Uh, she became an absolute evangelist for doing this kind of thing because she realized that, that particularly for Uh, year-end finals and uh, big exams, that being able to save that, save herself teaching the review class, make that available, made a tremendous difference for those students who almost got it, didn't quite get it, and just needed a little bit of extra of her time. And so, you know, I think that seeing opportunities to um, enhance your practice, um, do it in a way that doesn't Take a tremendous amount of your time, and yet makes a big difference for your students. That's that's a pretty compelling um, opportunity. And so, again, what we try to do is we try to highlight examples of that. We try to share best practices. Uh, we uh, try to um, try to make it easy, and hopefully, it will be.
1: So we are at the end of our conversation today. I really enjoyed it. And, but before we go, I wanted to make sure that we had a moment here if uh, for you to be able to mention any other events or projects or publications, um, and then also how people might be able to reach out to you online.
0: Totally. So uh, again, we are publishing every single day of the week at edsurge.com, E-D-S-U-R-G-E. Uh, when you go to uh, EdSearch, you will see kind of a couple of different ways to um, engage and and hopefully uh, find things that are uh, relevant and and useful for you. Um, you will see a whole collection of stories. Many of these are written by uh, teachers. In fact, if I look at our homepage right now, we've got a great piece about personalizing professional development by uh, Kristen Swanson. The teacher. We've got another piece by a guy named Ben Wilcoff who's in Colorado who's talking about how people create change, uh, almost a manifesto for professional development that he's put together. We've got a fantastic story by Roger Cook, the superintendent, a superintendent of Taylor County in Kentucky that talks about how his uh, district has really ended student dropouts by using personalized learning. Um, so, we're, we're uh, running stories both by my staff and by uh, educators and leaders um, throughout the ed tech world, and also by entrepreneurs and investors. We've got sort of a whole panoply of things there. Um, Tara, you had mentioned our index, and if you click on EdTech Index, you will see that we've chronicled or we're chronicling more than uh, close to 800 different tools. Particularly aimed at, at K-12, but some college resources as well. And when you start diving into those, if you uh, you know if you jump into, say, our math tools, you'll see we've got more than a hundred different math tools, digital curriculum tools that we're that we're describing and writing. So there's uh, there's a lot of things there. Uh, it's all freely available uh, on site, and hope to hear from folks. Uh, you know, feedback at EdSurge is our main email address for everyone. We read it every single day, multiple times a day, and we'd love to hear from anyone.
1: Wow, that's amazing. You sound very busy. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, Betsy, thank you so much for chatting today about connected learning, and we look forward to seeing everything uh, that's happening on EdSurge and, and where you take it from here.
0: Terrific. Thank you so much, Tara. really appreciate it, and uh, look forward to seeing a lot more from the Alliance uh, and uh, all of the great work that you guys are doing. Thanks for joining us here at the Connected Learning Alliance. If you missed any of this conversation or want to listen to more discussions, check out our website at CLAlliance.org or subscribe to our podcast channel on iTunes. See you back here for more talks with change makers and thought leaders who are building the next generation of learning.